Greetings, students. As always, this is Professor Totten, and welcome to the History of the American People to 1877. Today's lecture is entitled, The Second Great Awakening. Please follow along on the PowerPoint as I speak, and turn to the first slide. In the 18th century, preachers sermonized about man's depravity, hellfire, and brimstone. But a change occurred in the 19th century, when their message tended to be more optimistic and empowering. Preachers began to say people might save their souls through righteous action. About 75% of the 23 million Americans attended church regularly, but the family unit was just as important to teach religion as the lessons from the pulpit. Many churchgoers had become more liberal in their thinking. Rationalist, enlightenment ideas of the American and French Revolution had softened the older orthodoxy. Deism, or the belief in a higher power without all the dogma, was rooted in the spirit of the Enlightenment and influenced the founding fathers like Jefferson, Franklin, and Paine. Deists relied on reason rather than revelation, on science rather than the Bible. Deists rejected the concept of original sin, and some even denied Christ's divinity. Deists believed in a supreme being who created a knowable universe and endowed human beings with the capacity for moral behavior. Deism inspired an important spin-off from severe Puritanism called Unitarianism. Unitarians believed that God existed in only one person and not the Orthodox Trinity. They stressed the essential goodness of human nature rather than evil. They believed people had free will and salvation could be attained through good works. They thought of God as a loving father, not a stern creator. Unitarian faith was embraced by intellectuals like Rolf Waldo Emerson, and Unitarian faith emphasized rationalism and optimism that contrasted with Calvinist doctrines like predestination and hellfire. Many Americans in this era also believed in what is called providentialism, the concept of an all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipresent God or providence that actively intervened in human events to fulfill a predestined plan of history. And this is exemplified in the saying, it is all in God's hands. Thus, to many Americans in this era, science and faith could be reconciled. Please advance to the next slide entitled, The Second Great Awakening. The uncertainty and change that resulted from the market revolution may have helped inspire the Second Great Awakening. From 1801 to 1840, there was a great surge in religious revivalism in the United States. Oftentimes, the most intense in areas that were affected by economic change, like the burnt-over district of western New York, where the Erie Canal had changed life for so many. Many of the people who lived in the burned-over district were descendants of New England Puritans. The region was known for its hellfire and damnation sermons, and political and religious fragmentation occurred. The Great Awakening was spread to the masses on the frontier by huge camp meetings, where thousands of people gathered for several days to hear the gospel. An example of this is in 1801, 20 miles from Lexington, Kentucky, where there was a massive religious camp meeting at Cane Ridge, and between 15 to 20,000 people came to listen. Critics of Cane Ridge pointed out that there was a lot of drinking, and said that, quote, more souls were conceived than converted. Peter Cartwright is the best-known Methodist circuit rider, or traveling preacher. 
the circuit riders would go over a given region to sermonize to the masses. Cartwright had a spontaneous, participatory style of sermon, which stressed personal conversion and salvation, coming up and admitting before the congregation your sins and begging for Christ's salvation. His circuit or region was over 400 miles long, nearly two-thirds of the state of Illinois, and he was also a member of the Illinois legislature who was later elected to the United States Congress. And funny enough, he was defeated in the election of 1846 by the young Abraham Lincoln after too many people got tired of him mixing politics with religion and his really strong stand against alcohol. Another of these preachers was Charles Grandison Finney, arguably the greatest of the revival preachers. He inspired many others and held numerous religious revivals, and he helped create or promote the idea of perfectionism, the state that human beings desire a union with God through the pure love of God. It stated that people should work to make this world more fit for Christ's return. It had a greater emphasis on saving your soul and the world. What do you think will happen with this view of perfectionism? That's right. It'll inspire major reform movements like education, temperance, and abolitionism. Lastly, the Second Great Awakening stresses emotionalism, a heartfelt feeling between yourself and the Holy Spirit. Please advance to the next slide, entitled Impacts. What were the impacts of the Second Great Awakening? First, it converted countless souls, whether faithful or not. It shattered and reorganized churches. It created new sects. It fostered new reform movements, like prison reform, temperance, women's rights, and abolition. Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians gained the most followers during the Awakening, and these sects stressed a personal conversion and relationship with Christ. And this will lead to a greater democratization of religion, relatively democratic control of church affairs, electing your preacher, debating guidelines, discussing how to use revenue. But perhaps one of the greatest effects of the Second Great Awakening was the divisions it caused between pro- and anti-slavery churches. For example, in 1838, the Presbyterian Church split over the question of slavery. In 1840, the American Baptist Anti-Slavery Convention brought the issue out into the open. Southerners denied that slavery was a sin, citing biblical passages. The Baptist Board denied the ability for slave owners to become missionaries. And finally, the Free Mission Society refused to take tainted Southern money. As a result, the Southern members withdrew from the denomination and formed the Southern Baptist Convention, which grew into the largest denomination in the United States. And this split was formalized in 1845 when North Carolina approved the formation. In 1844, the Methodist Episcopal Church split between pro- and anti-slavery groups after a Georgia bishop was censored by the body after he had inherited his slaves. And so what we see is that most major churches split as a result of this question over slavery. And by the way, there are direct parallels between the splitting of churches over slavery in the antebellum era and the splitting of churches over gay rights in the modern era. 
Regardless, some historians argue that this split in religion over the question of slavery was a cause of the Civil War. And why do you think that? Well, if you view God as on your side, that means that you are morally right, and the other side is morally wrong, and you are no longer talking to understand each other, you are suspicious of one another, and this leads to animosity and demonization. Thus, the secession of southern churches foreshadowed the secession of the southern states. Please advance to the next slide entitled, New Religions. As a result of the Second Great Awakening, we see the growth of new religions in the United States. One example is the Adventists, or Millerites, which grew to several hundred thousand adherents. It was led by William Miller, who interpreted the Bible to mean that Christ would return on October 22, 1844. And spoiler alert, he did not return that day. The failure of Christ to appear dampened but did not destroy the movement. In this era, we also see the creation of the Church of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormons, created by Joseph Smith in 1830. Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon after saying he experienced a revelation. The Church of Latter-day Saints was originally founded in the burned-over districts, and there is some evidence that Smith's father had been badly hurt by the market revolution which destroyed his business. So it is interesting to note that family difficulties can inspire religious sentiment. Wherever the Mormons went, they met prosecution. In Ohio, Missouri, and Illinois. The cooperative nature of the sect offended many individualistic Americans. And there were accusations of polygamy, especially against Joseph Smith, which increased opposition to the group. This culminated in 1844, when Joseph Smith and his brother were murdered and mangled by a mob in Illinois. As a result, Brigham Young led the Mormons to Salt Lake City, Utah in 1846-47. The community became a prosperous frontier theocracy in a cooperative commonwealth. It cultivated the semi-arid Utah desert by ingenious and cooperative methods of irrigation. But Mormons were also distrustful of outsiders. In 1857, a group of Arkansan settlers headed for California were massacred by the Mormons dressed up as Indians at the Mountain Meadow Massacre. Tensions between the frontier theocracy and the U.S. government grew, and the United States Army marched in 1857 against the Mormons, though the crisis ended without serious bloodshed. The Mormons later flouted anti-polygamy laws passed by Congress in 1862 and 1882. Statehood was thus delayed until 1896 as a result of their unique marital customs. And in addition, the Mormons took a hard stance against African Americans and civil rights. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Wilderness Utopias. As a result of the Second Great Awakening, we see various reformers set up more than 40 communities of a cooperative or commutarian nature, again illustrating our long history of not always being free market capitalists. An example of this is in 1825, when Robert Owens created a community of 1,000 people at New Harmony, Indiana. This commutarian society founded the first American kindergarten, the first free public school, and the first free public library. 
It lasted a decade, and Owen later went to England to organize some of the first trade unions there. Another community was created at Brook Farm in Massachusetts. It was started in 1841 by 20 intellectuals who wanted to, quote, plain living and high thinking. It prospered until 1846 when the communal building burned down. And Nathaniel Hawthorne, a resident of Brook Farm, later wrote a scarlet letter. Another community was the Oneida Colony in New York, founded in 1848, which was much more radical. It practiced free love or complex marriage, birth control, the eugenic selection of parents to produce superior offspring, and they believed in the corporate marriage of all members to one another. They stressed the communal care of children, the equality of genders, and it was prosperous until the leader fled to Canada to escape state prosecution for adultery. Despite that, the colony lived for another 30 years, largely due to its craftsmanship and superior still traps, as well as the Oneida community silver plates. The colony finally fell apart in 1880 when the group embraced monogamy and abandoned communism. Another group we should be aware of is the Shakers, or the United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Appearing. A major community was established in Lebanon, New York. It's the longest living sect, beginning in 1776 and finally becoming extinct in 1940. It set up 20 religious communities, with a membership of about 6,000 in 1840. It was also communistic, as the other ones I mentioned, but this group had an opposition to both marriage and free love, which eventually led to their extinction. They believed in celibacy, equal spiritual value of men and women, and the simplicity of architecture and furnishings. Thus, new members were adopted as orphans or recruited through conversion. Lastly, there's the Amana community of Iowa in 1855, another perfectionist communal society with a manufacturing business that still is in existence to this day. Please advance to the last slide entitled Summary. The Second Great Awakening was the result of the communication, market, and transportation revolution that brought increased urbanization and industrialization. Communities turned to religion to help make sense of the changes around them. Religious revivals proliferated and brought about an evangelical faith that stressed good works, emotionalism, and a personal relationship with God. A greater democratization of religion occurred, as people took more control over the workings and staffing of their churches. Religious sentiments pushed the reform movements, as American Christians prepared their society for Christ's second coming. Spurred by faith, Protestants argued in favor or against the biblical sanction of slavery, which split American churches in twain and helped contribute to the Civil War. Lastly, new religious sects were founded that proliferated across America, and some of which remain with us to this day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have for you today. Make sure you're taking care of yourself, make smart decisions, and have a wonderful day. I'll see you next time.